Bem-vindos ao Type Theory for All podcast. As always, this is your host Pedro Abreu, and in today's episode is quite different. Not only because the music is different, but also because I brought two guests instead of one. On one side of the table, we have Anupam Das, a lecturer in the University of Birmingham in the UK, and on the other side of the table, we have Thorsten Altenkirch, who you might already know from his appearances in the Computer Pile YouTube channel. The reason why I invited two guests instead of one is because I wanted to reignite a discussion in logic or mathematics that goes back at least a hundred years with Brouwer, who defends constructivism. Constructivism is the necessity of finding an specific example of a mathematical object in order to prove that an example exists, in contrast with the classical mathematics in which one can prove the existence of a mathematical object without finding that object explicitly. And yes, I took that explanation directly from Wikipedia to me. Now, if you guys want to learn more about this beyond what Wikipedia says, you have to join me in this episode. Let's get into it! Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Pedro Abreu, and welcome to the Type Theory for All podcast. Today with me, I have two very nice guests. One of them is Anupam Das, a lecturer in the School of Computer Science at the University of Birmingham. I already introduced you last episode, so I'll keep this short today, Anupam. Welcome. And the other guest is Thorsten Altenkirch, and he is a professor at the University of Nottingham. His main research interest is in the application of constructive logic and computer science. He works with type theory, category theory, and homotopy type theory, including the development of the dependently type programming language epigram. You may also already know him from his appearances in the Computer File YouTube channel. Welcome, Thorsten. Oh yeah, nice to see you. So, random, actually, random question for you: Is is Epigram still being developed? For me, no. Yeah, I don't know. This is a bit out of date. Uh, this description. Uh, uh, yeah. So, yeah. No, I mean, um, I think lots of ideas from Epigram went into Acta. I mean, the main developer of, of Epigram is Connor, and he recently made some noises that he may look back into Epigram, but I, I don't know what's what's coming out of this. No, I'm 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 thinking I'm mainly involved with with Acta. I mean, I, I did my own implementation a while ago of a like core language called Pi Sigma, but that was just a toy project. Right? And, and the, the, the system I'm I'm using most of the time is is Acta, and so and, and so I, I'm I'm going. We have these meetings. There's one coming up soon in June called Actas Implementers Meeting. And they are quite, they are quite open, and and it's a good way to, to like either participate in the development or also drive it a bit and have discussion about how to develop and stuff like this. <laughs> so I actually didn't know that uh, Torsten was on a um, computer file until the Midlands Graduate School. Someone mentioned it in the Slack, and then I I duly went and binge watched a load of Torsten's videos on computer file. Um, that which was very entertaining. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you poor person. <laughs> it's also when I learned that you wrote a book about Python, so which um, I, I found moderately surprising. Oh yes, I did. Since what? I, I you it wrote, didn't fit you wrote into my about image. Python? Yeah. Yeah. I, I wasn't aware that you were so passionate about Python. What makes a type theory researcher? Exactly. This is my point, right? So. I, yeah. Yeah. It's it's a uh, it's uh, yeah it's called conceptual programming uh, uh, with Python, and it's because I was I had to teach a course. Um, oh, it's, it's, a, it's actually related to type theory, 
because I was in, in Princeton, there was a special year on homotopy types theory. And, and then I, I got a new, a new lecture course assigned to me. But that wasn't this one. It was one on, on something with software quality management. Yeah? And I said, I have no idea about software quality management. I, I mean, because I was away when I came back, I get a new course, yeah, which, which I couldn't choose. And they said, you teach software quality management. I said, no, I have no idea what this is. Yeah? Uh, I, I don't want to do this. And then they said, okay, well, you have to find somebody to, to swap with. Yeah? And, and in the end, I swapped with, with, a, with a course which has twice as many contact hours. And this was this programming course. And they used C Sharp before. And, and I said, oh, no, I don't want to use C Sharp. Let's use something which you can pretend it's a functional language. And that was Python. And then, I mean, we, we talked about it. I quite enjoy this because, um, I mean, I, I find um, the language like Python is for me a good way to introduce basic programming concepts uh, uh, to students. And actually, I find the fact that it's, uh, that it's dynamically typed is actually helpful for beginners because they only have to learn the dynamic semantics. They don't have to learn the static semantics. And, and because if, if you have a, I mean, a really sophisticated static type system for beginner, they like they type a program and they say, the compiler doesn't like my program, like it, if it's the compiler's fault. Yeah? Whereas in, in Python, you just run your program, it crashes, and then you can see, oh, I did it wrong. I didn't do this program right. You know, it's it's clear whose fault it is. It's not the compiler. <laughs> it's you. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, and, and for for I mean, I always actually I say this in the beginning. I say, okay, uh, for a beginner to to learn programming, it's it's good to have a dynamically typed language. I I, I like Lisp and uh, Python is now more modern. But but when you do bigger projects... When you say beginner, you mean like a beginner... Yeah, yeah. So actually, I should say, this is a course for master students who have done something else before and now want to do a master in computer science. Yeah. So they should learn, I mean, most importantly, they should learn programming, programming concepts and so on. So, so, so that's, that's what, I, uh, what we are teaching them. Uh, uh, so this book I've written together with my colleague, Isaac Trigueiro, uh, uh, and 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 yeah, uh, I, I I I quite and I quite enjoy this to to explain lots of basic ideas. I mean, I do explain the holding problem as well and stuff like this. So it's 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 a book. I've seen the computer part of this. a disaster. Anyway, uh, it's a, it's 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 a, the, the, <laughs> the idea <laughs> to me uh, is it's a good vehicle to 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 talk about like lots of things. Like for example, that you should use trees instead of strings and stuff like this. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So, so, no, I quite enjoy this, and I'm, I'm, I'm proud of my, of our book. Yeah, I mean, you can buy it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you will find a link to his book in the description of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, actually, I definitely agree with that. Using Python to to teach is really good. I've done, I teach, I think, a semester of Python. So, there was this class in the university that I did my undergrad at, uh, University of Brasilia. And we usually teach this, there is this course for programming for non-computer scientists, and we used to teach them C, mm. and it was a sh it was bad. It was really yeah. bad. Like, really bad. <laughs> bad idea, <laughs> these, yeah. <laughs> these students would literally whip their hairs off. They would be very upset, and we would use code blocks or something like that. So it's not, it, it's okay, but it's not great, you know. 
But then one pro one year, a professor decided to move for Python, and things started going a lot better because it's exactly what what Thorsten was saying. That you see that it's it's kind of like the programmer's fault that like things just just run right. Like you can just make things run, and maybe maybe it's cra- it's gonna crash. But you're gonna learn something if it's crash, right? Like yeah, yeah. like what's actually going on under the hood here. I mean, you have the top level as well, which I find very important. You can just type something in. Right. You get something out. You know that's that's very very important. For, yeah, exactly. For like they they provide you with an interpreter where you can just you know try things out before actually running like running small pieces of the of the code. That's actually really nice. And actually, so the reason why I invited you to today is to talk a little bit about you know intuitionistic logic versus classical logic. What is the whole shebang about constructive constructive logic? Maybe. Thorsten, want to start by giving a brief introduction. What? Okay, that's good. Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, it feels a bit when you, when you say this. But to me, it feels a bit the, like in Star Wars, the rebel against the empire. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is a type theory podcast. I think it's rather the other way around. <laughs> yeah, we're we the rebels, right? Okay, but uh, what I would, what I wanted to say is something about logic. So, I mean, I've been teaching logic uh, for a while, and and I find it quite important to emphasize that that logic is to do with what. What people already do reasoning, yeah, it's not something artificial from another planet or something or something completely away from your everyday experience. Yeah, you 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 you, you can conduct arguments and 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 so on. So 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 logic is 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 part of your of your being human, your, your intuition. Yeah, and all what we do in formal logic is is to to try to make this more precise. So intuition. Is the starting point, and then uh, the, the formal, the, the rules of logic are way to make sure to 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 express what are the rules we're actually using to make them to to make them precise. And 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 the problem is often if you have some arguments, they may be a bit involved, and and people can cheat and 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 get all sorts of mistaken, flawed arguments as we find in everyday life. Right? And we, we want to avoid this, so we we try to to pin down what exactly are the rules which reflect our intuition. And that's for me uh, what, what is the meaning of intuitionism, right? That you start, that the idea is uh, that, 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 that it is about reflecting uh, our intuitive understanding of, of reasoning. Yeah? And I have a story uh, to tell which, uh, about my daughter, who is now, she's now uh, over 20 already, but when she was a little child, uh, I took her uh, to a to a meeting, a science meeting with lots of mathematicians, and I have to say I, I never sort of educated. She was not even at school, so I never did any math with her or whatever, uh, or maybe she just started school. And and then one of the mathematicians uh, asked her, I said like I uh, had a test and say like what do you think? What is the biggest number? And she thought for a moment, and then she came up with this answer, which really impressed me. She said there isn't one. Because you can always add one to it, and 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 then there's a bigger one. Yeah, I thought I never told her this. I honestly, I swear, I didn't tell her this. Yeah, but she just understood from this intuitive idea what numbers are, and 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 from the power of reasoning, she could explain that there is no no largest number. Right? And 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 yeah, so that that's that's the basic point uh, to me. Now let me talk. Okay, let me come a bit more. To uh, to answer your question, so intuitionistic logic is is 
is based on this on this on this on this idea that um, yeah that that we when we do mathematical constructions you know when we talk about mathematical uh, concepts that that we actually construct them uh, 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 we're not like uh, observe them or, or we, we we don't uh, we, we don't um, uh, find them uh, but uh, uh, we make them right? and that's that's a very important uh, idea and it's also what's called constructivism right um and uh, and and this has some consequences because i mean this is a philosophical idea so this has, has got some consequences because it it sort of means uh, that um that yeah that, that that this is this is about constructions we make in our head it's not about something about the real world and now we have to be very careful when we do constructions in our head it's a bit like telling a story i mean it has to be a consistent story but it's a story and, and hence, so there was this question about truth. So truth is not really uh, what we are talking here about. So we, what we're talking about, we have shared intuitions which we want to uh, uh, which we want to share, which we want to uh, communicate. And and this is about constructions which we we do in our head, uh, which are like stories. And 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 hence the, the question of truth is 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 a bit inappropriate, I, I think. So so it's 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 better to to talk about evidence. Uh, so this idea is that if you make a statement, then you, you you should say what do you need, what do I need to do to convince you that the statement uh, holds? I, I avoid saying is true, right? Because it's a, it's a fallacy. It's not about truth. It's about uh, convincing, about communication, about constructions, and and that leads to to different logical laws than this idea. Uh, and this is classical logic, but maybe I should leave this to Anupam. Uh, but to me, classical logic is is based on this idea that that mathematics is like the real world. This is called mathematical realism. Uh, 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 that 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 these these objects they are they are there and they're just discovered, and they're not constructed. And hence, we can talk about the truth because even if we don't know the truth, it's there somewhere, right? And to me, this is a fallacy. This, this truth doesn't exist. It's, it's a construction in your head, which we don't need to communicate. And this has consequences. So, um, so uh, there, there's more than one rule in logic which is inspired by this, by this um, contrast uh, in, in classical logic. Uh, uh, I mean, one is the rule of the excluded middle, that every proposition, either P or not P, holds. Uh, then there are other uh, principles like uh, the, 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 the reasoning about power sets, and then famously the axiom of choice, which tells you if for every left sock there is a matching right sock, then there is a function which uh, assigns right socks to left socks which are matching. Yeah, that's what axiom of choice, and and that's a, a constructively very uh, fishy, uh, fishy idea. Okay, so. Um, so that's a philosoph. I mean, I give a philosophical reason, but I think there's also, and that's important, also a pragmatic uh, reason why I use intuitionistic logic, because for me, as a computer, I mean, coming from computer science, it seems to be very natural to make certain distinctions and to be, to care about, for example, whether a proposition is decidable and to be able to express this. And if I think about a function. To me, a function is something like in functional programming. I put something in, I get something out. So these ideas, uh, uh, they, they are 
work very well. I mean, they're basically reflected in intuitionistic logic and intuitionistic type theory. And and so to me, it it always seems to be a, a bit strange uh, that a computer scientist would embrace classical logic. I mean, it, it's clearly. I mean, okay, classical logic is is like the language of the empire, right? It's it, yeah, it's, it's uh, the dark side of the force, right? It's uh, it's it's very prevalent in 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 mathematics, yeah. And and uh, it, it's like as I say, there's a minority of of people. Uh, who, 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 um, uh, who, who think that intuitionistic logic is 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 the way to go, and uh, yeah. So I always, I mean, I, I'm, I, I, I mean, I don't want to. It's not about. It's not a religion, but I mean, I, I think it's important <laughs> that we think and reflect about uh, what we do, right? Uh, and and maybe also uh, argue about it uh, if if necessary. And, and I mean. I should say this. I, I respect Anupam. I know he is a, he's a really excellent researcher, and that's why I cannot understand that he falls. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I need to jump in because quite a lot of things that Torsten has said, which I'd like to respond to. I got I had to get the tablet out to take some notes actually. Um, so I, I see my role in this debate was more of being devil's advocate, which I think was also my role at the Midlands Graduate School because I don't actually have a very strong ideology, but I have a lot of questions for Torsten's ideology. So to first, just a few remarks. Um, I I feel like you opened your statement of position by speaking about logic as foundations. And um, I just want to point out, of course, logic has historically a huge role in foundations. And I think your work in type theory, things like homotopy type theory, a lot of this is is carrying this baton, right? The foundational baton. But I, I would also point out that logic is more than just foundations now. It has applications, right? We have all sorts of awesome theorems that we can apply to things. And look at proof mining. It's one of the great successes of proof theory, Um, getting new results in mathematics by applying tools from logic and proof theory. Uh, Model theory has been applied to get new results in number theory, like Wilkie's resolution of Tarski's high school problem. Um, So, you know, it, it is more than just foundation. So I think when we talk about the role of logic or, you know, I think we're both being tentative with the use of the word truth. Logic is definitely more than foundations now. So, I mean, feel free to interrupt at any point. I'm just rattling off these bullet points. So, Anupam, we need to discuss uh, the high school problem because I'm thinking about this. Uh, it's, it's an interesting type theoretic. Do you mean this? It's not this paper that was published a few years ago by, um, I think, Danko Illich? No, no, no. No, no, it's it's something else. That, uh, if you do this, this high school algebra uh, uh, story, uh, the incompleteness <laughs> goes away when you use the let, let, Let's put this on the stack. Um, I would like to hear about this. Um, so, of course, intuitionism as constructivism. Again, historically, this is uh, certainly how it was. I think my my understanding of origins of intuitionism is you know by things like the BHK interpretation. And I think if you want to formally understand intuitionism, then maybe something like a realizability interpretation or something is... Uh, ah, I see Torsten shaking his head. But again, the point I want to make is that like any other good mathematical object, the, the, the ways it's been extended, the ways it's been studied has out, has outgrown its origins to the point that, you know, of course, that's somehow the motivation for it from the beginning. But um, the, it just as a mathematical object is interesting enough to talk about things that aren't coming from that motivation. So, for example, you know, for a long time, intuitionism and constructivism were around. And then Gensen comes up with his systems and he has a very, very nice structural constraint, which corresponds to intuitionism, which is the one formula on the right constraint, right? 
And now you suddenly have a structural characterization of intuitionism as well as a philosophical characterization. Philosophical characterization by BHK, uh, structural, let me finish this point, structural characterization. And once you've got that structural characterization, you can start posing other questions. You can start looking at new models. Things like by intuitionism, Okay. Well, now I have to write things um, as well. Let me just finish this I? and you can respond. Okay. So things like bi-intuitionism, for example, become relevant, where you have one formula on the right, sure, on the right and on the left, right? And of course, and these are just yeah. as mathematical objects are interested, even interesting, yeah. even though they're not governed by the same motivations as original constructivism. And I think just to close this point, then I'll let Torsten respond. The final thing I'll say is I think um, Torsten made a leap of logic here when he said that as a result, intuitionism or the way he does mathematics is not in search of truth, but in search of evidence. And I think he's making an assumption because while constructions can serve as evidence, there is an argument to say that they're not the only evidence. In particular, take something like Hilbert's formalism. Hilbert suggested that uh, mathematics is a game of symbols. And so if I can give you a formal proof, you know, just a deduction from some certain axioms, including, say, excluded middle, that can also serve as evidence. So I think I'm not convinced that constructions are the only thing that can serve as evidence, because I think just a proof can serve as evidence. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, that can, let me go to your first point. So it is true that I emphasized uh, foundations, uh, uh, but I should have maybe said more about applications. And I think... Uh, they are pretty clear, right? I mean, uh, if you look uh, in, in form of theory improving, uh, we have a number of systems which are based on on type theory and which are which are very good. Actually, so this is one of the beauties to me about type theory is um, you 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 have you start with a programming language and you get the logic for free via this uh, propositions as types explanation. So the idea is that for every proposition. I, I, I define the meaning of this proposition by saying, what is the evidence? And the evidence can be viewed as a type in the sense of computer programming, right? And, and, and so if you, if you have like a, a powerful type system, like in type theory, which has in particular dependent types, then you can translate all your propositions into types and the logic comes in for free. So you have a programming language and a logic, and it's really one thing. And this is cool. I, I think it's really cool because... Uh, you write programs and you can give as much of their correctness properties as you like. And it's a very, and you only have to learn one thing. You only have to learn the programming language. So the logic comes for free. And I think it's, 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 it's really, really cool. Yeah. I, I, can I also butt in here? Because I, I think this is relevant to something you said, which is you explained also in your first um, opening statement why you use intuitionistic logic. And it sounded to me that you use it because it's useful and intuitive, which is a perfectly good reason to use it. Oh, yeah, you're right. But there are two sides, right? Uh, uh, the one thing is, I think, I, I, I mean, I think it reflects the way I think, my intuition, right? And it's useful. And that's not a coincidence, because I think that if you do something based on, on good principles, it's also quite natural that it's useful. So it's not a contradiction, right? It, it, it goes together very well. No, I, I didn't mean to suggest it was a contradiction. I, I meant to say that there's a gap between that um, appreciation for intuitionist logic and perhaps the search for our foundations, because the fact that something's useful and intuitive makes it useful, of course, but it doesn't mean it's comprehensive. And foundations presumably should be comprehensive. If you think about foundations back, I mean, we just talked about applications. So foundations should be uh, should be based on good explanations and and basic intuitions, right? 
they, they, they must come from somewhere. Uh, they, they cannot just... I mean, so one thing which I would uh, say is just not... And I think you, you, you sometimes go a little bit in this direction. Uh, logic is not a, a glass-pearl game. Uh, it's, 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 it's not just formalism. Uh, formalism is, comes second. First comes intuition and understanding and explanation. Then formalism comes to reflect it. Formalism on its own, if you have axioms or whatever, the basic principles, right? You mean for the axioms, uh, um, to determine the axioms. Uh, also the rules of logic and so on. I mean, uh, this distinction, I mean, I should say, in, 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 in type theory, there are no axioms, yeah, because, like, there are no, in a programming language, everything has to be executable. I cannot just say, I have a program, but I don't know how to run it. So, so yeah, in a sense, there are no, yeah, 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 sure, there, 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 there are, Constructions which reflect okay, the rules, certain then, ideas, not but not, okay. you would, I wouldn't call them axiom. Um, okay, let me just go because you, you talked, to, you mentioned Gensen and and the uh, uh, the sequence calculus. Now I don't think uh, that um, so Gensen also developed uh, natural deduction, and if you look at this from a sort of modern point of view, it's 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 actually. Uh, that intuitionistic logic is, is is very very natural from this point of view because it corresponds to basic notions in category theory, uh, and namely that these these logical operators are adjunctions, right? So so and and, and so they have a, in a way a classical logic is is weird from the structural point of view, from this yeah from this categorical point of view because it doesn't really fit in very well. Yes, there is against uh, sequence calculus, and in the sequence calculus, classical logic fits in more. Isn't that can, can I, isn't that more a shortcoming of category theory, given how good, well behaved the sequence calculus is internally for classical logic? People have tried to 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 capture this, and and you mentioned bi intuitionistic logic, where you make the intuitionistic logic more symmetric. Yeah, uh, but it, what you what you what you lose is uh, is what's called. Um, a proof-relevant interpretation, which is interesting for category theory, if you don't just want to talk about propositions, but uh, actually on the notion of evidence, which may not be always uh, a pre-order, mm. but it can be a category, which I think is an important step. So I, I don't want to lose your 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 your, your audience. Uh, so so I think that uh, uh, this is I think quite natural to think about uh, the structure of logics. A structure of logic, which corresponds to the structure of of programs, yeah, you know, like products are like conjunction and so on, and 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 you it should work for both, and the classical one only works for the propositions. It doesn't really work very well for the for the uh, proof relevant one. I mean, this is just a response to saying that uh, uh, classical logic is structurally. Better behaved than uh, intuitionistic logic, I would say the opposite is is uh, is is the case. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, 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 and and as I say, it's it's. it's... I, I don't think I mean to say that it's one way or the other. I, I I think they have different proof theory. They have different proof theories. I mean, as you say, for intuitionistic yes. logic, there's a very good understand natural and you know intuitive understanding of it by propositions as types or via category theory, Cartesian closed yeah. categories. Uh, for classical yes. logic, there are other understandings of it. Things like catalamation and structural proof theory, I would argue, are much simpler for classical logic. Okay, also, 
yeah, I, I, I don't have to repeat. So I, I think the, the categorical view, I think, is also very, very natural and, and, and forces. I mean, I think as far as category theory is concerned, there are only two options. You can either use it or you reinvent it, you know. Uh, 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 Torsten, you're, you're, you're presuming an ideology, right? You're presuming that you're, you're saying from a category theory perspective. Well, why from a category theory yeah, perspective? Okay. Because my point is that these are useful ways to look at stuff. But sometimes there are you need other tools for the job. So look, for example, I agree that the category theorist perspective and intuitionist logic are good models of, say, classical logic, right? I mean, intuition logic. So sorry, classical logic does have an intuitionistic structure and it has a bit more than that, right? Uh, just like you can see the natural, you can see the real numbers as forming a group, and therefore you can use theorems of group theory. But they have more structure than that, and they have more theorems, right? Uh, and, and it's the same with classical logic. It can be useful sometimes to see it as a model of intuitionistic logic, but it might sometimes be uh, more no, useful, or might be more sorry. necessary to see. Um, well, no, in particular, classical logic is a model of intuitionistic logic, right? It's a, the, the model that furthermore satisfies excluded middle. Aha, uh-huh, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think like this. In the same way that real numbers form a group, right? So real numbers form a group, but they also form a ring and they also form a field, right? And sometimes the level of abstraction okay. that you need to make sense of things yeah, yeah. will change. So. I think your understanding, the rich mathematics that comes with uh, propositions as types, with intuitionistic logic and Cartesian closed categories, uh, propositional logic and Cartesian closed categories, and all the stuff that's been built since then, your work on dependent type theory, gives us a good understanding of things, but it doesn't give us the full picture for classical logic. Yes, because I I don't think... um, So classical logic, as I said, is is based on, uh, on, on, on bad foundations, and uh, although, I mean, and, and okay, there we don't agree. Uh, yes, we don't agree on either. But on the other hand, it's it's uh, from its sort of algebra, from its structural behavior, it is, I would say, okay, that's in the eye of the beholder, obviously, but it's less natural than, uh, than uh, intuitionistic logic. And actually, this has consequences uh, in, in mathematics as well, because even in classical logic, you sometimes construct uh, models which turn out to be only intuitionistic. Yeah? So, 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 so classical logic has too much structure, too much artificial symmetries, which, which, are, which, which sto- stop you from doing uh, uh, certain things. And yes, Can you give an been... example of what you're thinking of? So, so if you start uh, like to do uh, relativity, uh, uh, general relativity, uh, you, you look at these, uh, what they call smooth manifolds and stuff like this. And if you, if you investigate the structure of, of those things, you end up with what uh, Grotendieck has invented, uh, uh, the, the theory of stacks. Yeah? And they are fit into an intuitionistic framework, but they're not classical, they're not models of classical logic. So what, what I'm just saying is uh, that the, but that's in agreement with you, you, you in a way, because you're saying intuitionism has more models in a way. Yeah, lots of things, lots of structures you you discover in in even in classical mathematics are, are, are models of intuitionism, but not of classical logic. And what this proves to me is that that so, yeah, so this is now claim, going up a meta level, right? This is seeing intuition. Yeah, yeah, but 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 that's until you claim I, that that structurally. I think uh, intuitionistic logic uh, is better behaved than classical logic. So that, that's, that's the point. So I think we've already debated on this, but I, I, just to add something, I think there is a counterpoint. I think it's subjective. 
I can also say, you said algebraically and structurally it's nicer, but I can also say, well, look at the sequent calculus for classical logic. This is much more nice because it's symmetric. It's, it has a duality about it, which we usually like to see in algebra. We like to see symmetry. We like to see that. And actually that symmetry buys you a lot. It allows you to do some really interesting things. Um, and so I th it seems to me to be subjective. If, you, if, if the tools you use, the tools you are used to, natural deduction or constructors and destructors or, or Cartesian closed categories, then yes, natural deduction for intuitionistic proposition logic will be a much more natural system for you. But if you're a, pu a, a maybe I should say pure proof theorist, if you're a pure proof theorist and calculation is the tool that you're using, then it's, uh, I, th I think classical logic is, is quite natural. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're obviously right. It has very much to, is a, a judgment uh, to make and has to, has to do with with your background, with your experience, with the, the way you acquired your intuition. Um, so it's it's uh, it's it's obviously. I, I would also say I'm I'm I don't think I want to follow a particular ideology, but I would like to have clear sort of explanations and uh, and, and and have a good basis. But um, okay, my my point. Um, yeah, my point is that okay, you say uh, a category uh, that uh, classical logic is more symmetric. And hence better. And and now, uh, first of all, I will dispute your claims that category theory. I didn't say better. I said there's at least a counterpoint. Okay. So okay. Uh, but but I, I, what I would like to dispute is that category theory uh, is is already sort of uh, uh, an outpouring of intuitionistic ideology. It isn't. I mean, it, it was invented and it was made uh, for completely different reasons, mathematical reasons, right? With nothing to do with with, with intuitionism, uh, for algebraic topology. I mean, it was what Saunders MacLean uh, was was working on, and uh, and it, it 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 turned out to be a, a, a generalized algebra. Yeah, it's, it's like algebra one level up, because in algebra you look at, uh, at at structures like groups, for example, as you said. But then, if you look about how groups interact, yeah, then you have to talk about the category of groups and the property of the category of groups, uh, and so on. So it's it's the algebra of algebra. It's it's really not uh, uh, sort of infected by intuitionism in in any way. However, and and this is really the point. What you said exactly that the symmetry is a good thing. I I would dispute this. I think you can have too much symmetry. And and here is is uh, this example which you, I think you know is if you if you look at logic from a categorical point of view you have these adjunctions you have uh, conjunctions and disjunction and implication but if you want to make it symmetric you also have uh, the dual of implication the, the, the subtraction which does exist in classical logic but if you have both you don't get yet classical logic actually you can have symmetric logic which is not classical. But categorically, you have a trivial structure uh, because any uh, any category uh, which has both uh, implication and subtraction is trivial uh, as a preorder, and that sort of tells me that structurally uh, classical logic is 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 not as well behaved as intuitionistic logic. Hang on, I have, a, I have a question before we continue. So I know that in category theory, when we say one thing, it's one thing very precisely. So I'm afraid that what you mean by trivial here has a precise definition. Is that the case? Oh, yeah, sorry. Yes, so a, a category uh, uh, has, uh, I mean, a, a, a collection of objects. And for any two objects, you have a home set, set of arrows. And a category is trivial if there is only at most one arrow between any two objects. Yeah. 
So if you think of, of morphisms as functions, there's, there's only there's either no function or one function, but never two. You know, and 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 that's uh, this these categories which which are like this, they correspond to what we call pre-orders. They're just orders. And the categories are much more interesting than orders. Okay. So if you say trivial, then it's because it's a pre-order. Right, a lot of the structure just collapses and becomes a yeah. smaller thing. Okay. I don't think I've got anything to add here, but I would reiterate that um, if you're a mathematician and you look at this, we know that classical logic is not trivial because we see structure in it and we see loads of interesting meta-theorems. So uh, bronze theorem interpolation results, we can, there is some interesting content inside classical proofs. So if someone is trying to model it and they can't get a good model using a certain technique, it doesn't mean that the thing that we know is non-trivial is trivial. It means that the technique is probably the wrong way to think about it. So in this case, the formalization using category theory is probably incorrect. I mean, it's it's not really, I mean, it's, okay, it's not a formalization, I would say. Category theory is the algebra of algebras is, is sort of, as I say, it, it really forces itself upon you. I don't think there is, there is I would say it's, it, it's, I find it difficult to, to see a good alternative, but okay. But I also wanted to say there is lots of, if I, I, you don't actually need classical logic uh, so much. I mean, or ever. Uh, because, okay, here's another story about why I prefer intuitionistic logic. So classical logic, my experience, and, and I, I think I, I can find examples for this, examples for this, is that they often uh, have this sort of um, magical uh, rabbit out of the hat uh, type of arguments. So I find, I see a classical argument, uh, whatever, every, every uh, complete order has a fixed point or whatever, and it's a bit like, oh shit, yeah, this works, oh yeah. Uh, but in a way, I, I find I'm still a bit lost. I, I don't see it's 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 a bit magic. Whereas, um, it, I mean, intuitionistic proofs obviously there can be bad proofs as well, badly explained and so on. But but what what is the, what often happens is that if you do a proof constructively, it tells you much more about why it holds. Yeah, it it gives you this this construction and, and even classical mathematicians they often say yeah but now we found a constructive proof of this which has a better explanatory power yeah i'm not disputing any of this i'm but do you deny that the classical proof uh, demonstrates the truth of the statement yeah I, I, that's exactly my point right which i tried to make in the beginning that, that the whole idea of truth is 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 a bit problematic right it's it's a construction you make in your head, yeah. And now you say uh, you use an argument that the things you make in your head are like things in the real world, and I don't buy this, right? So so, so okay. So classical proofs uh, are a bit uh, to me are, are a particular form of of lies, yeah, which which sometimes turn out to be true. I mean, you you, you may use something some some principle. Which I don't accept, but you, 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 the conclusions are still okay. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm not saying that everything which is done in classical logic is, is automatically wrong, but it, it sort of fails to convince me uh, of, of that's a valid argument. I think this brings up a very, a very straightforward question, which is what, what is so intrinsically unconvincing about excluded middle for you? Uh, and can I just add one more thing, since since Torsten mentioned it earlier, also in terms of unconvincing, you yourself brought up this example of if you have 
infinitely an infinite sequence of socks, right? And each one's paired with another. And of course, the, the counterpoint to this is, well, if I if you gave me shoes, it would all be fine, wouldn't it? Because I just uh, have left and right, so I wouldn't have to choose anything. And 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 really, can you? Um, for me, this is a problem, right? Why is why is it so different between socks and shoes? Yeah. Uh, I think you think of it. I shouldn't use the socks example because it's um, yeah, it, it's it's been used before in a different context. Uh, but anyway, yes. So classical, yeah, classical reasoning. So first of all, the 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 the, the, the principle of excluded middle, which says for every proposition we have p or not p, is uh, is is not on its own uh, problematic intuitionistically, and and because uh, we can. The question is the or in 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 this junction in intuitionistic logic means uh, if you say p or q you also mean you know which one yeah it's 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 either p or q uh, so evidence for p or q is either evidence for p or evidence for q in classical logic p or q is equivalent to it cannot be that both are false right not not p and not q. Yeah, so P or Q is the same. Not both can be false, which which intuitionistically is is, is a weaker statement. And um, now uh, we can say we can we can say oh, by P or Q I mean the classical thing. I mean not P or uh, not not both can be false. And it turns out that this translation, which is called the negative translation, works in intuitionistic logic. So in a sense, you could say, um, from an intuitionistic point of view, classical logic is 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 a fragment of intuitionistic logic, namely what we call the negative fragment. And and the negative fragments are we only talk about proposition such that if if not not p holds, then p holds. And with these propositions, we call negative because they don't contain any information. Uh, this is a, this is classical logic, yeah. So, so I'm, I, I, I have this slightly uh, this, this phrase or this uh, meme. I say, uh, classic uh, a classical logician is somebody who can never say anything positive. Yeah, where positive is is that you actually get some information out of out of a statement. Yeah, uh, and and so, 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 so the rule of excluded middle is 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 not is not an issue. But this idea, so the idea, uh, the philosophy of in, of classical logic. Is that that uh, propositions correspond to this truth, and the idea of truth is uh, the booleans, either true or false, the, the, the type or the set with two elements, and and this I think is is very misleading, uh, 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 which I don't really I, I don't really un understand. I don't think it's a good explanation of of logic in 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 in, in my view. It's. Uh, uh, Yes, so so the, so I I mean for example, and I I think I made this example before. If you if you just look at at propositional connectors, so and or negation, you can work with booleans perfectly fine. But to me, as soon as I do uh, predicate logic, I say for all natural numbers something holds, or so for all or they exist. Then I find that you cannot. I mean, if you say for all x n p of n holds, and p of n assigns to every natural number a boolean, then you still don't know the boolean which this statement corresponds to. So, so I find I, I like to to give uh, an explanation which for every uh, proposition assigns a meaning. Yeah, where, where, okay, I science, I mean I can get it 
you, you showed me. Uh, obviously, that's constructive again. Uh, and that's not the case in, in, in classical logic. I mean, you, you, you say uh, there is a Boolean, but I don't know which one. And, and for me, and this is also because I'm a programmer, the type of Booleans is very clear. And if you have a program of type Bool, then I can look at it and it is either true or false and not something I don't know. Yeah. Okay. So Torsten and I actually had a, some email exchange about this, these particular subjects, mm -hmm. which, and I'll reiterate some of the stuff that I've already said to him in private, which is, um, okay. I don't know how, I can't remember exactly how you phrased it just now, but I feel like you said two things, which you implicitly made to be the same thing. You said one thing, which is, Uh, there is the negative translation, and by this, I believe you meant the Gödel-Genson negative translation, which, as you say, translates P or Q into not, not P and not Q, right? And then you also talked about the set of formulas that intuition-stick logic can prove double negation for. And I think the, the difference between these two um, things, the image of the first translation and the, and the second set, um, exposes quite an interesting feature of classical logic, because it's true that everything in the image of the Gödel-Genson translation satisfies the double negation principle, but not everything in the double, that satisfies the double negation principle is in the image of that translation. And that's witnessed by, you know, a, a whole uh, huge ensemble of double negation translations in the literature. So we don't just have the Gödel-Genson translation. We have the Glavenko translation, we have the Kuroda translation, the Kravine translation, and, you know, I'm sure there are, uh, I want countably many more. Um, But, and I think this really exposes something about what computationally speaking, we can understand from classical logic. So if you wanted to understand classical logic um, as some sort of projection into intuitional logic using the tools that you already are used to, then at the very least, I think one should accept that it's a superposition of many different readings. If you take one double negation translation, you might get one reading of the proof. If you take another one, you might get another reading. In particular, if you take the example of disjunction, There are translations that for certain P's and Q's will translate the intuitionistic disjunction as exactly the classical disjunction, as the classical disjunction as exactly the intuitionistic disjunction. So for example, if P and Q are quantifier free in arithmetic, we can safely do that. So I'm happy with this. It's not, I'm, I always wonder if, I mean, okay, to me it seems go first to do a classical proof and then to extract an intuitionistic proof is quite a roundabout way to me. Um, And uh, I, I prefer uh, to 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 do an honest proof from the beginning, right? Because I'm only I'm not just I mean I'm I'm, I'm interested in the proof. Obviously, I, I like to have a formal proof, but I also like to understand it. And and I find uh, this di diversion via classical logic uh, is is not helpful, at least for me. Okay, to to understand this construction. And I find in many examples, when you apply it, uh, it turns out that there is a straightforward, I mean, there is an intuitionistic proof which you can actually explain instead of extracting them from a classical proof. Um, and actually, it's often interesting that, that you have a, a statement, also a classical statement, often, often, okay, now we talk more of the axiom of choice, uh, which has thus to do, uh, the fact that it's classical has to do with um, there were not enough uh, input, there's not enough structure in, in, in the statement. And if you add the structure, which I think once you see it, it's quite natural, then the need to use axiom of choice, including middle, all these brutal steam hammer tools, 
uh, it turned out they're not really needed. Yeah. So yeah, I I I I am completely uh, in favor of logicians and mathematicians trying to get rid of tools that we don't need to prove a particular theorem. Knowing that something can be proved constructively is is always a good thing to do, just for mathematical reasons. I think, but but, but going back to what you said. Why do we start with the classical proof at all? Why not just be honest from the get-go? I think, um, so putting aside the question of truth, I'll, I'll, I'll focus on one particular answer, which is it could just be useful. So all the things that you want to achieve, which is, for example, a construction or extraction of computational content, there are methods sometimes that uh, do this for directly from classical proofs that may actually be more efficient, more succinct than trying to, what if you came from intuitionistic proof? So just one particular example, there are intuitionistic theorems that have much, much shorter classical proofs than they do intuitionistic proofs. And in fact, from those classical proofs, we have methods to extract certain computational content. So for example, interpolants. And those interpolants are real programs, real programs we can use in the real world to actually decide real things. And using classical logic from the get-go was a good way to get a small one instead of a massive one that we would have got from intuitionistic logic. Okay, and we have to look at these examples, right? Um, so well, let me say something, uh, may I be more positive about classical logic. So I, 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 I do actually uh, agree that, that that can be useful, even using the, the steam hammer tools can be useful. Um, because there is, there is, I mean, there is an intrinsic problem uh, with intuitionistic logic it, it it can be it's very useful to make lots of differences to be very precise, but sometimes you want to look at things from a distance and and you don't want to to make all these subtle distinctions, and and there it's good uh, to use this classical logic. Basically, for me, classical logic is is a is a is a form of lying which can be usually fixed later, right? But sometimes a bit of of lying can be useful. To find a shorter, as you say, a more succinct explanation or proof of something, which isn't really a proof. Just like parenting, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I took kids, yeah. It's, it's a bit like you sometimes have to say something which is not completely true, but it it, 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 it makes it more uh, digestible, understandable. So I'm, I'm, uh, I, I can understand this, and uh, sometimes uh, I end up, uh, I mean, I, I do some construction, which seems to be quite obvious to me, and then I discover... Oh shit! I use the axiom of choice here. Shit! Oh, <laughs> feel guilty. Obviously, I have to go in my in my in my cabinet and then do uh, lots of praying to the gods and to be to be to be cleaved of this of this of the sinful. Yeah. So so yes. So that happens. Yeah. Happens to the best of. I mean, not the best. But anyway, uh, so yeah, uh, so so I, I I do see I do see the uh, destruction and 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 to me. Uh, I think, and, and maybe we can agree on this, uh, uh, because Anupam isn't a, a strong anti-intuitionist, I, I, I sense, uh, 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 that it, it can be, I think it's good to know both. Yeah, it know, It's good to have this ability to see things from a distance, to cheat a little bit, uh, but then you should also know, oh, I can go closer, I can be more precise, and I can actually be constructive, or I can at least try to be constructive. So, so, so to me, and this is an important thing, uh, maybe more to the mathematicians, who are often very blasé about this. So I had lots of discussions, and they just don't care. Yeah, uh, and I think they make, they miss a trick. So, so, so to me, it, it's it's important uh, uh, to to 
maybe sort of educate the mathematicians to be more serious about considering this uh, constructive, this intuitionistic view of mathematics. I, I do agree with that. And I think even more so that um, the proof mining program has been a testament to that because they have gone around and actually proved things using their techniques that mathematicians weren't able to do so. So just by mining classical proofs, they were able to get cons actual bounds that the mathematicians weren't aware were sort of somehow hiding in the proof because they were able to use some an, a mixture of real mathematics and actual logic and proof theory to constructivize certain proofs. Can you always, my question is, can you always translate a classical proof to an intuitionistic proof? No, I mean, okay, so we Not talked the about the theorem. principle. Yeah, no, but we talked about the principle of excluded middle, which is uh, rather harmless uh, because of these negative translations, as uh, Anna Pam remarks. But um, there are other principles which are more problematic. And one of them, okay, are, this, are the power sets, which are uh, problematic if you're a predicative intuitionist. And the other thing uh, is this famous axiom of choice, um, because from a intuitionistic point of view it's it's a it's a lie it's, it's basically you, you say uh you, you you hide some evidence you say there is this evidence but i don't tell it I tell you about it but then you you can pull it out so after you you say it's hidden you say oh yeah but i know it anyway and so it's it's uh, from an intuitionistic point of view uh, the, the axiom of choice is a lie and 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 uh, there are lots of important consequences in mathematics. And, and this is very hard to eliminate because, as I said before, you often have to do with that your statement actually uh, doesn't contain enough, or the, the structures you investigate are, are badly chosen and, and they lack a bit more information which are important for the theorem. But it seems, it seems to me that they actually, in a sense, when you have the axiom of choice, then when you have a classical logic then you have more power you you have more yes. proof power right yes yes you can prove lots of i mean actually you don't once you have axiom of choice you have automatically classical logic so so that's a it's a consequence um, so that's good having more power you can prove more things that's good right well i would just like to say it, it depends on your reading of intuitionistic logic here if you take a bhk reading then choice should not be too cumbersome yeah, well, that's a confusion. Sorry, I, 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 the choice, what we mean by axiom of choice in mathematics is not the, the, the type theoretic axiom of choice, which is provable. Uh, the axiom of choice is is, uh, is where we talk about Oh, sorry, you mean when you have a sequence, it's like the socks example, you mean it like this. So you have a, um, a sequence of non-empty sets and you want to get a function that picks out an element from each of the sets. Right, yeah. So, okay. so the, 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 the point is that in the premise, if you say for all exist, the existence statements is just a proposition. So there's nothing more to say about it, but that it holds. Yeah. But in the conclusion, you say there is this proposition and I can pull out the evidence out of this proposition. Right? And that's a lie because I just said I'm not telling you the, the choice. So the constructive interpretation, okay, the question is how do we inter interpret exist, yeah? If we interpret exist as a, as a, a evidence, I mean, it, as, a, as a type theoretic, as a sigma type, as a pair of evidence and the proof, then you're right, the axiom of choice is, is provable, it's trivial. 
but it, it, it doesn't correspond to what people mean by the axiom of choice. Yeah? And, and the meaning of the axiom of choice is, is recovered by, say, no, uh, by existence, we mean uh, uh, something where we forget, we, we, we hide the evidence. Yeah? And, and, and the axiom of choice says, yes, you have hidden the evidence, but I found a hole and I, I, I can see it anyway. It's a lie, yeah. It's it's it's, it's re I mean, co constructively, it's a lie, and this lie has got lots of consequences. There are lots. I mean, excluded middle is a consequence of of this version of axiom of choice, and this is the Diaconesco con construction, which is quite interesting. Uh, but but there are lots of other uh, statements in mathematics which re rely on this axiom of choice, and and they don't, unlike the excluded middle, they ha don't have uh, at all. A, a, a constructive explanation. I mean, okay, there are cases where you can recover it by proof mining and so on, but in general, you can find statements where we really don't know any constructive explanation. Right? Uh, it's possible that it exists, you never know, but, but we don't have it. So, axiom of choice is 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 really uh, uh, very problematic uh, from from this constructive point of view. I think Anupan was going to add something. Um, no, I, I agree that this is a problem from the constructive point of view. No, I think we're, we're closing soon, but I, I did have a question. I just remembered a question, um, which is your, your, your concern with classical logic. Um, so far, you, you've talked about it because you don't understand it and you want to have a good interpretation of it. I was just curious, do you also have problems with it from a foundational point of view? Like, do you, do you fear a foundational crisis in classical logic through things like impredicativity or... Other axioms. Now, yeah. Look, uh, I mean, um, I I like to have things which make sense to me, and maybe that's subjective. And uh, as I said, um, to me, uh, this classical, the classical philosophy, and and the, the rules which follow it, they they maybe I'm just not clever enough, but I just don't understand it, and I prefer things. Which I which I understand, yeah. I mean, you can always say, uh, oh yeah, we use uh, whatever classical logic with, uh, I mean, Zamelo Frankel with choice, and do you think it's inconsistent? I think nah, maybe not, because has been around for a while. Lots of people have tested it, yeah. So I guess it's bug free, yeah. <laughs> but but that's not. This is like a, like a empirical argument, yeah. It's it's like testing, yeah. And I think. I'd rather like have a good reason, a positive reason, why I should believe something. Yeah, and there, I uh, well, the set of C stuff is is beyond me. Yeah, can I point out just from a meta point of view here, um, any consistency problem you have with, say, for example, piano arithmetic, also is equivalent to any consistency problem you have with heighting arithmetic, provably constructive. Sure. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know arithmetic is harmless. No, but that's 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 the the A translation, the negative translation, and so and so on. There's no no problem at all. Yeah, that is exactly if you try to do the same for the axiom of choice, you fail. That that's the point, right? Okay. That's the negative translation of the axiom of choice is not uh, constructively. I so. confess I haven't worked, haven't thought about this matter so much. Yeah, yeah. No, no. It's it's uh, it's uh, certain things, uh, as you say, uh, can be easily justified. Uh, constructively and other things not and and okay one thing are power sets quantifier over all subsets of, of an infinite set and the other thing is the axiom of choice and i have a feeling that these both are somehow related and i don't really understand exactly how 
but there's, there's, I think there's a relation. So it seems to me, as a, as a wrapping up, some sort of conclusion, is that, I don't know, what I took my takeaway from this whole discussion is that classical logic is almost like this fun playground where you can, you're more permissive, you can do a bunch of stuff. And according to Thorsten's point of view, it's like some of those stuff is not really, really that true. Some of those stuff is not actually makes that much sense, right? Can I have another? I think it's 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 maybe a playground, but then there is some heroin, you know. Okay. And 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 the classical logic or axiom of choice is a bit like heroin, you know. It it seems to make you very happy, <laughs> but in the end you realize it's it's not really. Uh, it, something is wrong with it, yeah. And so the axiom of choice is like the heroin of mathematics. Uh, that's maybe a better explanation. And yes, I want the kids to play, but I rather keep the heroin away from them. <laughs> right, right, right. So that that's where I was I was going towards is that okay, you can you can do a lot with classical logic, but some of those things are not you know actually that fun. It may seem at first, but eh. however, most of the things that we can well, maybe it's a too bold of a claim, but a lot of what we can do with classical logic, we can also do in constructive mathematics with intuitionistic logic. And there are a lot of many, many tools that can do that automatically for you. But there is this key question of, of what about these things that you cannot? Are they still going to hold in intuitionistic logic? And I can see a lot too that intuitionistic logic have a lot of value because they're actually explaining you what you're what you're doing what are the steps taken and you know like it's almost taking taking the kid from the hand and be like okay here are the steps that we're going to go through the playground like i'm going to show you exactly what's going on right like no magic no magic at all so and no heroin and, <laughs> and we're not going to fall anywhere things are going to be fine you can trust me right and it's, it's actually very impressive that a lot of mathematics have actually been formalized using just intuitionistic logic right like i believe there is mm -hmm. there is on the, i think there, i was watching this other podcast type theory podcast they were interviewing um bob harper's advisor anyway so he was he was saying that they they were working through a lot of mathematics just going constructively like some sort of analysis course it's that's that is really impressive right <laughs> because a lot of the axioms you don't actually need all of that you can all your proofs are, are actually you can you can kind of run your proofs right like yeah so often often the the the, the version of the theorems like uh, for example calculus and so on which which are based which are really seem to require classical logic and choice once you look at them a bit closer you discover that that maybe the definitions weren't so good and and if you if you fix them and and make them actually nicer then the need for 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 classical logic disappears so 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 that's so in and so in a way that is consistent with what i said before so sometimes this this classical view gives you a view from the from the distance and it seems to require Lots of power tools uh, to to get away with it, but but when you when you look a bit closer, you find that that you can do it with uh, with a screwdriver and some wooden uh, tools, and it, it 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 it's actually more beautiful. It's sort of it's more yeah, it has it has an intrinsic intrinsic beauty as well, and, and better explanation in a way. So so I think so so usually going 
from a from a construction which seems to require classical logic and then refining it and and make it uh, intuitionistic uh, it means changing it but I, I but in, in in what I see it it's changing it to the better but it does require a bit of work it does require a bit more thinking right you know so, right. so, so that's certainly true defending the mathematicians a little bit though I can kind of see their you know skepticism about I should I care about intuitionist logic? We've been doing classical well, logic all this all this time, and yeah. But if you really talk to them, you you find okay. So I had this discussion with um, yeah, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, Kevin Bassard, right? Yeah, uh, from, from, from Project Zena. Yeah, and it's very funny because then he he argues like like oh yeah yeah we use intuitionistic logic we use classical logic, and in the end it boils down to something. We use classical logic because uh, all the other mathematicians lose classical logic, and uh, we we cannot talk to them, and we don't get any grant money uh, for <laughs> anything else. It's like it's it's like conservatism as ideology. Yeah, right. uh, we have always done it like done it like this. The others do it like this. Uh, the bosses do it like this. So we do it like this. Yeah, it's 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 really very shallow. I find. I mean, it's not. Mm. They, they don't. They, they don't really want to discuss anything about our foundation so, and, philosophy. And, so uh, what what I was you know? what I was leading to is that yes, that's that's a very valid point, and it's it's true. It's true. It's like this is a skepticism because it's it's worked so far. So like, why should I bother? And we have to try to convince them why why they should bother. And in our perspective, in our perspective, type, they're not interested. Sorry, I mean they're not. They cannot be bothered, you know. It's not. It's not. It's. 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 That's what I was trying to say. It's. It's not that we haven't convinced them. But here's the thing: that they cannot be bothered. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, I I understand your your arguments about you know like questioning all of this, but in my point of view, the most compelling reason why we computer science use and are so passionate about intuitionistic logic is because we need it to run our proofs. Full stop. And mathematicians could not, they don't care about it at all, right? So our most compelling reason is not even a reason for them at all, right? Yeah, it's it's, it's one reason. But actually, uh, it, as, as we look back in the history of intuitionism, I mean, famously Brouwer, I mean, he was around before computers were invented. And, and for him, intuitionism was important from a foundational point of view, right? and then he started a big argument with Hilbert, by the way, uh, uh, the, 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 the foundational, uh, the Grundlagenstreit. Uh, so um, this was before computers were invented. So this this, this question is, is, is all, I mean, it, it fits perfect, it fits very well. I would say once computers were invented, there was an extra uh, uh, right. reason or an extra motivation. Mm -hmm. yeah? But it's not it's not the original one. It's not the only one. That's all. So what's what's his his main argument for? Yes. So um, okay. So so basically, what I was saying, he 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 found that the the, the proofs which relied on classical logic uh, are not uh, convincing to him. And he was talking about this ur intuition. There's a basic intuition. He was Dutch, so I shouldn't talk in German. It's, it's a basic in, in, intuition. Uh, that 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 he wanted uh, uh, that mathematical construction should be explainable, and he found that these classical constructions lacked in in this uh, in this in the sense that, that that they don't really provide good explanations why something is true. That was his, that was his, I think it was his main line, uh, and, and 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 this was 
I mean, in, intuitionistic logic later was was very much refined and so on, but but he took a big uh, uh, big uh, danger for his career because he did he worked on topology first, and and Hilbert was very impressed by this young uh, mathematician uh, uh, doing really cool proofs, yeah. But but then he 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 went and said, well, look, I I'm sorry, but I don't believe in the excluded middle anymore. Uh, okay, that was a long time before negative translation and so on. Uh, this is 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 is, is, is I, I don't believe it. And, and and Hilbert was really getting really annoyed and and said like what this what this Brauer is doing is like uh, taking the gloves away from a boxer. Yeah? This is what we really need. This excluded middle is, is our is is our power, and he wants to take it away. And that's really horrible. It's a big uh, danger to to mathematics. And, and he and then there was a really Brauer. bad. Na, na, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he had he got fired from a from a journal, uh, editor of a journal and stuff like that. Was really ever there were not uh, <laughs> good friends after this. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, we are more than one hour in. I try to keep consistency okay. in the time of. Um, I think I, I'm very happy with the outcome of, of of this discussion. I think we could find some sort of middle ground, and you know, like Anupam did a great, great job doing the devil's advocate and. Hard, asking the hard questions. <laughs> At some points we got a little, a little bit more technical with some more hairy category theory, but I think we could not get away from that. In any case, um, is there anything else would you guys like to consider that we didn't have the chance to, to touch up on? I'm sure there is, but uh, I will only it will only come to my mind after we are finished. Like, oh, I should have mentioned this. Ah, I should have said this and stuff. But not now. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's always like that. Anupam, you were saying? Uh, yeah, um, I mean, just some light reactions. Um, so, yeah, I, I think um, this example of calculus was a really nice example of why you might want to do something intuitionistically because, you know, built into all the statements of calculus are, you know, you can build in constructive content everywhere. Like every existential, every exist delta could be constructivized, modulus of, 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 of continuity, things like this, right? Um, but why do classical logic at all? Um, I, I think it does make me happy. I think both of you said it doesn't, but uh, I think it really does. And I think this is witnessed when we go around our conferences and we say, we give each other math puzzles and basically all the interesting ones, all the satisfying ones use classical logic, right? Um, you know, like the, the yeah. prisoners in Very a row puzzling. wearing red or blue hats and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Very puzzling, but it is satisfying. And, and, and finally, like once you come up with one of those proofs, do you really go out after that and say, well, I'm not convinced. I have absolutely no conviction in this statement because I've only used that um, class logic or can you do you at least say I have some conviction and I, I think maybe it at least serves as some evidence and I think this is an important thing to note so even for the diehard constructivists I mean when you say a, uh, a rational number to the power of an irrational number can be rational isn't it at least some of I mean these examples sorry these examples are often propositional or it's clear that things are decidable so they're not really a problem intuitionistically Irrational number to the power of an irrational number can be rational. That 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 that's there's nothing. There's completely classical. Yeah, and there's a very simple constructive proof. It's not the same as the non. It's it's not the same as the classical one though. The classical one. I don't believe there's any intuitionistic sure, constructivization. Sure. But but it's better. So there is. I mean, the statement has the statement, proof. but not the not the classical proof I mean, that uh, root two to the root yeah. two. Is, you know that that proof. Right? It, that's either rational or irrational. There's no. And yeah, sure, a constructivization sure. of that should tell you which one is rational. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, no, no, you can prove 
You can prove that root 2 to the root 2 is, in fact, irrational. You can, you yeah, can you actually can prove that. Square of two to square of two. Yes, it's yes, you're right. But that requires a lot yes. more work. The question... Yeah. Yeah, but let me just... Sure. But the easier work is just to do another proof. But anyway, <laughs> I, I just wanted to tell you, let me close my, my favorite uh, theorem of classical logic, right? Uh, which is uh, this one. It's a, uh, called the drinker's problem, drinker's paradox, right? Uh, in every non-empty pub, uh, there is at least there is one person. If this person drinks, everybody drinks, yeah. And that's a tautology of classical logic. <laughs> and actually, if you think about it, it is also an intuitionistic tautology. If you assume that the pub is finite and that uh, whether somebody is can is drinking is is decidable. That's a very interesting one. I never heard that before. <laughs> so I prove it, prove it. Yeah, it's, it's not difficult. It's not difficult. I mean, it's not. I said it actually. I said you, as an exercise. You must use excluded middle. Yeah, yeah. I said it as an exercise. I have these 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 also logic puzzles. My, my I have logic poker. My logic poker is I give them a number of propositions, and they either have to prove them intuitionistically, prove them classically, or refute them. Right. Right. And this was and this was one which I told them. Okay, prove it. And they realized, okay, uh, uh, so, they, so they realized, okay, intuitionistically, I cannot prove it. And then they tried to prove it classically, and some of them failed. And then they tried to find a counterexample, yeah? <laughs> but it's not. It's classically provable. But that's, that's, a, that's a nice puzzle, right? Uh, uh, I think, yeah. So there you go. It's a, it's a perfect puzzle to wrap up the episode and leave as a homework to the, to the listener. Thank you so much, Eugene, for... Me? Okay, Anupam? That was reminded me, I, maybe I can do one plug at the okay. end of this. I run a blog called The Proof Theory Blog. Uh, I run it with Tom Powell and a bunch of contributors. Um, so please do check it out. We can link to it below. Yes. But Drinker's Paradox is one of the things that's popped up. Um, and uh, there's lots of great posts about proof mining, lots of great posts about proof theory. Uh, I make some posts about classical proof theory, so maybe this could be interesting. Okay, yeah, thank you for, for, for hosting it. That was really good. Yeah, thank you very much. was it for today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. If you have any questions or comments, drop it in our website www.typetheoryforall.com. Make sure to subscribe in whatever platform you use to listen to this podcast. We are on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcast, and if you guys cannot find it on your favorite podcast platform, please let me know and I'm gonna sure I'll put it there for you. You may also be interested in following me on Twitter so that you know when the next episode comes out because I myself don't know when the next episode comes out. My Twitter handle is p underscore throw abreu zero, the number zero. So like Pedro Abreu, my full name without the E for a underscore. And finally, don't forget to check the links in the description because all the cool stuff that we talked during this episode is going to be there, including Thorsten's book, Anupan's blog, a paper about the high school algebra, and anything that I can remember while editing this episode. I hope to see you guys next time. Stay safe.